So I, I know I've gotten a little bit of grief already today because you're gone for two consecutive weeks and, and people are wondering who you are, or at least they say that. Um, but I'm back and we're back for a while. Um, these were not vacations. Well, the last one was sort of, we went to a wedding of an old student of mine, so that was sort of a vacation. Um, we were at camp, so greetings from camp. I, we love Camp Akita. Um, and the, I want you to be, feel secure that if you send a kid to, to Camp Akita, at least this year, the counselors were great. The, the, um, Pastor Campos is, is great. He and his wife, I mean, it's just, I felt that the Lord was there. Um, and tons of kids made decisions for Jesus Christ while they were there. So praise the Lord. Um, yeah, amen. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we ask the Spirit to anoint us. We ask that you empower us to teach this world about our God, our Dad. Lord, may we teach in power because you have said all authority has been given to you that you are transferring to us. Anoint us, empower us, teach us. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You will see up there that there is a name here called Urbistundo. My dad is from a town called Urbistundo. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that. But Urbistundo is in the country of the, you guys know where, I'm from, where my dad's from? The Philippines. So if you look at, I am not, okay, because I know Michiganders are this way, you know, they always have the, the hand there. But, but I'm just going to, so you got Manila, who's, which is down here in, in Luzon, which is the main island. By the way, it's believed that there are over 7,000 islands in the Philippines. But of the biggest island, Luzon, Manila's down here about four hours north is a province called Pangasinan and there is a little town, a very, very tiny town called Urbistundo. Now this town is so small that there is one little grocery store. Actually, it's gotten bigger since the, uh, from when I, the first time I went was 1989. I've been there about six or seven times. The last time I went was 2013 or 14. Um, we did an evangelistic series there. But my dad's street, where this school is, is still pretty much the same from the first time I went to the last time I went. There is one light in front of their house. And then way down the street, you see one more light, which is in front of the school. Those are the only two lights on all this, and it's a fairly long street. You know, I would say it's probably at least a good a mile. Um, if not, you know, maybe a little bit shorter, three quarters of a mile. But, but can you imagine, you know, walking down? It's, it, it was like walking down the darkest alley. You can't see anything. If you're standing outside, you're the only person that they can see. Actually, my, uh, my cousin got in trouble once 
I shouldn't even tell you this stuff. But my cousin got in trouble once because there was a dog we heard. We couldn't see anything. He, there was a dog we heard, and he was barking, barking, ah, ah, and, and he came over, and he tried to snap at us. So my cousin picked up a rock and, like, threw it at its direction. And because you couldn't see anything, all we heard is, ow! And we're like, uh-oh. So we ran inside. Well, they saw us because we were under the light. They saw us, and somebody came in and said, hey, you know, one of the kids, you know, threw a rock, and it hit him in the head. But, but this, it was so dark. Everything is so dark in this area, and it's still very, compared to here, primitive. Except for everybody has cell phones now. But other than that, it's still that way. I mean, they still, a lot of the houses have outhouses. They, that don't actually flush. You, you take a bucket, and, you, and it goes. And luckily, they have toilets now. You know, my, parent, my dad didn't even grow up with a toilet. In, I think it was in, the, when I remember t- talking to my dad about this, in the late 30s, early 40s, sort of around World War II time, there was this school. And this school was there for the mission of preaching the gospel to people who didn't know it. My parents' family, now I've heard my dad say this. I, I just talked to my aunt last night to sort of verify the story. She says that, that her, her grandmother started hearing the Advent message before. But I know that this school was instrumental in bringing my parents to the Advent message. People were being brought to the Advent message of Jesus Christ through a school. The school was there before a church. Because in a lot of these countries outside of us, to plant a school was more important than planting churches. Because they realized, if you want to do the real groundwork, you reach the kids. I remember even going to, my first short-term mission trip was to Honduras. And we did this evangelistic series, and they realized that there were a bunch of kids. So they had a church for the evangelistic series, and they gave us one light bulb that was attached to an extension cord, and they said, hang this up, and you take care of the kids. We had about four times as many kids come in under one light bulb, singing songs, than they had in the meetings, well, guess what? Some of their parents were like, where are my kids going? The parents started coming to the meetings because their kids were there. Kids are the key. And this school and our forefathers that, in, that put these schools, that planted these schools, realized that. That if you want to reach this community, you teach their kids. That is the key. I was sad. I was saddened that I, uh, how will I say this? I was associated with a school, one of our Seventh-day Adventist schools, where I heard one of the administrators say this, and it's within the states. He said, 
there's a formula that we want to follow. And we only really want about 5% non-Adventists in our school. Otherwise, it, it tips the balances, you know. And I, I, to, I talked to him. I said, I really, I really disagree with you. Because if you felt that way, if these people felt this way in these places, my parents, my dad would not be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And you know, if you've been from these other countries, that, that it is quite a bit different. These were mission schools that were winning families to the cause of Christ. And I think we did this disservice that there were, there were generations, I think, that happened. Because I talked to people my age. I went to public school. But people my age and, and some of their teachers, I think there, were, uh, there was a generation or two where the purpose of our schools were to keep kids Adventists. Just keep them Adventists. Do whatever we can do. Just keep them Adventists. And I strongly disagree with that. We are there to bring people of all beliefs to the cause of Christ, to the throne of Jesus Christ. May they be transformed by the Spirit of God, and they will transform their families. We lived by fear. We lived by fear. My kids will leave the church. And, 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 that, and people knew that was the purpose of, of our school. Well, I don't want my kid to, to, to rub shoulders with this person because, you know, I'm going to keep them in here as much as possible. But if you ever see a healthy school where they know the mission of the school that they are to reach the community... I spent a year in, uh, I spent two years in Korea. Samyuk University was so different, which is a Seventh-day Adventist school, is so different than a lot of our Seventh-day Adventist schools. There are over 70% of the school are non-Adventists. But you know what was cool? I would walk on the campus, like whenever I'd visit the mainland, I'd walk on the campus and I'd see these students doing Bible studies with, with some of their, their peers. And I'd go over here, like during lunchtime, Bible studies, Bible studies. I'd talk to the staff and they say, we understand what our mission is. Our mission is to reach all of these people. It's not to keep our kids Adventist. What will actually happen is as they teach others, they will grow in their own faith. They will know their purpose. Their purpose is not to sit here, to, to just be within these walls. Their purpose is outside the walls. And they understand that purpose. Here is the text, Matthew 28, that that beautiful kid read from. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, so he's saying, I am transferring this authority to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you know your English, your grammar, if you go back to the first one, sorry, the, the first part of that text, can you tell me in this, what do you think is the imperative? Do you know what an imperative is? What is an imperative? Command. Boom. Imperative. What is the imperative there? What is it? Make? Yes. Most people think it's go. Go is not an imperative in the original Greek. Now I helped you out there. I bolded a little bit. The imperative is to make disciples. Make disciples. That's the command God, that Jesus gave. He says when you do this by baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's not it. And you go to the next slide. He says, you teach them. You teach them to obey everything I commanded you. If you want to make disciples, you teach. Now, who is this command to? Twelve people? Oh, everybody. Everybody? To all the disciples of Jesus Christ? Dare I have you raise your hand if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? If I say, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you do raise your hand, then you are supposed to be a teacher who makes disciples. Because teaching is about disciple making. To teach means to make a disciple. And disciple-making was the imperative that Jesus gave you and me. So if we are not doing it, that's not good. Because this was the last commission he gave in Matthew. You should teach. I want to, to share with you the Hebrew. Now, remember, this was written in Greek, but... But remember, I'm convinced that Jesus' heart is Hebrew. He is a Hebrew. And he is probably speaking Aramaic, but with some Hebrew in there, especially scripture. And then they wrote it in Greek because they're like, oh, we got to get it to everybody else. It's sort of like, I mean, you from other countries, you know how it is. When you try to translate, when you try to translate into English what you really want to say in Polish or something, it's, it, it's hard. The original is, is Hebrew. So I want you to repeat after me the word more. Say more. Say it again, more. More is teacher. Now, in Hebrew, and I, I, I hope one of you, as long as I'm here, one of you really holds on to this. That Hebrew, why I value Hebrew so much, is because Hebrew is, is about roots. And the root, there's two believed roots of this word more, which is teacher. The first one is, by the way, they're homonyms. I think homonym is the word. They sound the same, right? Two words that sound the same, like bear and bear, right? Isn't that a homonym? Am I wrong? Okay. The first is yara, and the second one is yara. But they're spelled a little bit different in Hebrew. The first way they believe this word more comes from is yara which is where we get the word translated as fear. 
to revere. Now, where it translated into teacher as the same root, I don't know. Maybe because teachers fear their students, and there's a time where a teacher can fear a student, or maybe you put the fear of God in your student, so hopefully that also happens. Sometimes teachers fear parents. I don't think that this is what this means. If it does come from this root word, if you find the etymology of fear, it means to flow from the gut, from your deepest part. A teacher is someone who is all in. If you put your chips all there, I am all in with these students. A good teacher, a more, is somebody from the deepest parts of, of their bowels. They're saying, I'm investing in these kids. I know that happens here. I see it. I see it here at this particular school. And, I'm not, and I know it doesn't just happen in this school. I know that there are some of you that teach outside of, that don't even teach at a Christian school, that are like, I am all in. And I, it might be even more of a sacrifice because I can't speak about my faith, but I want to so bad. But I am all in. Yara, to fear, but it means to, to come from here. Secondly, and this is what I actually think this comes from, yara, the other yara, is where we get the word Torah. Do you know what Torah is? Everybody heard of Torah before? Torah, which is translated as law, comes from this word yara, which means to throw or to shoot. Boom, boom, boom. You shoot arrows. And you shoot arrows at a target. And the Torah is the target that you shoot at. But what's cool about this word, I mean, this is... To me, I'm super excited, and, and I know you're like, oh, I'm maybe a little bit excited, but I get so excited because another word that comes from this, this yara, is yore. Can you believe it? Yore? Yore, which is translated the early rain, you know, when the, the rain that would come down, because in Hebrew, just like when you shoot and you throw a stone or something, or when it rains, the little events, each little drop makes a big event. It is about the little drop that comes each time. When you win a battle, you don't win with one arrow. You win when the whole army stands up and they're ready, set, shoot, and they all go. The big event happens because of the little events. Just like with rain, you don't have a flood with one drop. Boo. But with millions of drops, you have a flood. What I believe about teaching is about having a lot of little events that make a big event. And a lot of these little events we don't even see. You think about your life, the things that have impacted your life. A lot of times we just remember the big events, but the little events actually mold us a lot more. This is what your teachers do. 
You are here because a lot of little events have created this big event called life. This is what I believe he's saying here. You know, this, this idea of more. To teach is about little, little events. Outside of our teachers alone, you have this opportunity. Every time you interact with somebody can be one of those events. And so it's up to you. When you are in the grocery line, how are you going to act with the cashier who is taking a little extra time? Or the person that has 25 things in the express lane when it says 10 maximum. I, that is a pet peeve of mine. I, I, but how are you going to react? How do you react with the kids? Sometimes maybe a little too loud. Is there, oh, is that a kid crying in the sanctuary? How are you going to react with your little events that will eventually add up? There was one man, talking about church talk, there was one man, and I don't even remember his name, an, an older man that every Sabbath, if we'd come to that church, you know, ever since I can remember, he had lifesavers. And obviously I still remember this. You know, I was probably three or four years old when we'd go to that church. He'd have lifesavers and he'd smile and he'd say, I'm so happy you're here. And he'd pack his suit, you know, his sports coat with lifesavers. So happy you're here. So happy you're here. Those little events, I say, contributed to why I'm here. The little events make the big. This is teaching. And that's my frustration sometimes. I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit off. My frustration sometimes with evangelism is we try to have this big event. Let's, let's, let's leave it to the big event. We'll have a, a four-week series. Boom. And we'll bring people in, and guess what? They come in and they go out. Because we're leaving it to the big event. When if you want to teach and stay true to the commission, you need a lot of little events that will make a big event. And all of us are needed in that. We all should be teachers. Paid. I am a paid teacher, you know, in my own way. I, I just want to share a stat, though, especially a statistic with teaching teachers that are the paid teachers that, that are um, in charge of your kids. Maybe scary. <laughs> but for me, if your kids listen, if they listen, I get them maybe 30 minutes a week. 30 minutes a week. So with 50, you know, you got 52 weeks a year, and apparently this would probably be thrown in my face by Bill Merman or somebody, that I'm not here every week. So this is the, this is the, the best case scenario. I have 26 hours with your kids a year, if, if we're just limiting it to, to here. 26 hours. Hopefully more at school time, but that's what... Next... Parents. Now, dads, when I was looking up, I was trying to compile some stuff. This was a pretty good average number. That It's average that 59 minutes a day, almost an hour a day, is how much dads spend with their 
kids in school age, school age kids, not with babies or anything, but this is, we're talking about school age kids, 59 minutes a day, which ends up being 359 hour, yeah, hours per year. Now, moms are, are generally a little bit more with kids, uh, so it averaged out to about 104 minutes per day, which is 633 hours per year. So kudos to moms and dads. Yeah. But the next one, teachers. If they spend seven hours a day with your kids at 180 days a year, it comes out to 1,260 hours per year. Double what moms spend with their kids. I value teachers. We need to value this ministry. We need to encourage and support this ministry. And I'm not just talking about our local school, even though I am talking a little bit about our local school. But every teacher out there spends over 1,200 hours in real ministry. And you know kids ain't easy. Oh, my kids ain't easy. I am praying for Mrs. M this year. Because I know my son. I got a smile. He doesn't know what I'm talking about yet. So I know, but that's just one. Imagine a whole class of kids. And once the drama comes, once they get to that certain age, you get, man, we need to pray and support teachers because to be honest I can't think of a ministry that we have in our church I'm talking global church that spends more time on face-to-face -face contact ministry there's not one health ministry nope pastoral ministry obviously not teaching ministry is it and parents I know we have high standards for our kids, which we should. Give a teacher a break, too, though, you know? <laughs> right, give them a break. They are working hard for the salvation of your kids. I am super thankful that at this school and the school I previously came from, that your teachers and those teachers allowed me to come in and do Bible studies in their classes. They said... We will schedule a time we have so that you can teach our kids about Jesus Christ. That is awesome. Because that's all that matters. To be honest, I don't care if your kids end up being lawyers or doctors or, or you know, accountants or whatever they, you know, whatever you aspire them to be. I care and they care that they are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ at that resurrection day. That's it. That's all that matters. So teachers keep teaching. I want to tell you, well, I have this slide up here, just that teaching is about relationships. If you, if you saw those numbers, you know that they have to build relationships. 1,200 hours a year, you have to build relationships. I wanted to share a story 
my own personal story. I, uh, some of you guys know that I did, I did teach almost every year I've taught since I've been in ministry. But for two years, that was my full-time job. I was a teacher chaplain. And there were these two girls that were at my school. It was a boarding school called Campion Academy. It's in Colorado. And these two girls um, were sisters. And their names are Ashley and Cynthia. Um, and a long time ago, I, I asked for permission to, hey, is it okay if I tell? Um, and they, yes. So these two girls were good kids that just came. They have, they have a good mom um, who sacrificed everything to put them in the school. Uh, they just came from a little bit of a rough background where dad was not in the picture. These kids were good. They were just going, you know, they'd make some bad decisions. And near the end of the school year, of the one was a freshman, the other was a sophomore, and near the end of the school year, there were a couple of kids that said, hey, let's go off campus in the middle of the night. Well, if you do that in a mixed crowd, boys and girls, automatic dismissal. I didn't hear about it until they came to my office. And they came to my office bawling. They're crying. They said, we love this school. And they said, we, we love everything about it. And we said, we just made a bad decision. And that's what I wanted them to say. You know, it was just a decision. You know, don't give up. You know, the, and I've told this probably once or twice before, and both times I get a little choked up, but I, I don't, I think I'm all right now. But they both said to me, this is before I had kids, they both said to me, we didn't have a dad. You were our dad. I didn't have kids yet, and I felt still, like, really young. You know, I was, you know, 31 years old, and, and, and they're like, we didn't have a dad. You were our dad. You cared about us. You taught us. You spent time with us. You cared the direction we were going. I believe in teaching ministry. Teachers teach on. Win these kids to Jesus Christ. At this time, what I want to do is I want to ask, actually, we're going to do it. It's going to be a two-part kind of thing. I want to ask all the teachers. So if you teach, I would like you to come up here. Now, some of the teachers know I'm doing this. Some do not. But if you are a teacher at any level, so whether it's uh, elementary, secondary, or um, higher education, Whatever it is, if you teach, I would like you to please come down here right now. Like, not wait. I want you to come down here. If you are a teacher, come here. That is my command. That is an imperative. Substitute teachers, also, come on. Teacher's aid, come on. Whoever, come. Teach. I do know we have other teachers, they just not might, might not be here. We have one that her husband is a pastor somewhere else, so she gets a, you know, she gets, that's her doctor's note. Rod, would you come up here? What, what we started doing at my old school, and I want to do with you guys, 
is we would actually anoint the teachers for ministry. You know, the prophets of old, these people would be anointed. Now, I'm not going to pour oil like they do over, you know, the, the kings, but we are going to anoint them. And, I, and I'm going to ask if there are any elders in the house, because we're going to lay hands on them. Are there any other elders in the house that could come up here? We'll lay hands on these people. All right. Why don't we, do you mind coming over here? So, um, before I actually start anointing you, can I ask, how many of you have taught, um, any of you, first year teacher kind of stuff, no? How many of you have taught more than three years? Okay. How many of you taught more than five years? Ten years? Um, Fifteen years? Okay. Twenty years? You can raise your hand. I want, we want to see it. Twenty-five years? Do anybody taught for more than thirty years? Thirty-five years? Huh? Right. That's older than you. You've been teaching this way, Yah just said. How many years have you been teaching? Can you count that high? Wait, 44 years. Can you give it 44 years of teaching ministry, of kids, you know, wiping their noses, of, you know, hearing their drama, not dealing with, you know, graceful parents, but all of this stuff for 44 years. Combined, we're not going to do it, but combined, I don't even know how many years of ministry, just within this small group. Yeah, more than 100. That is great. So at this time... I'm just going to put some on the forehead, all right? You can wipe it off later. Or if you want to keep it and never bathe again, that's okay. So, hopefully no allergies to olive oil. You might need all of it. Because she deals with me. (laughs) So, elders, if you would... Go around them and, yeah, touch and agree. So you guys also can, so contact with them, laying out of hands. Father in heaven, praise and honor and glory be to you. Lord, we know that this is a ministry. We also know that the enemy sees this as a viable ministry, and he wants to destroy lives. Father, but we know he trembles in your presence. So, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit is in every classroom. Every time that these teachers interact with people, with students, with teachers, may the Spirit of the Lord be there. Strengthen them, encourage them. May they be a shoulder to cry on. May they lift up students, and may they empower them for great things so that they reinvest. Father, I ask you to anoint them. 
and may you be glorified through this ministry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now they are going to stay up here because I am going to ask all the children to come up here because they are the ones who have to also deal with these people. We need to pray for them. So all the kids that are going to school this year, whether you are five or, well, wherever, whatever age it is, please come up here. We want to dedicate you and pray for you. Even if you're a college student, come on, get up here, all you students. Yeah, what, I see some back there. What up? Come back here. I don't care if you're homeschooled or what. You're a student. Come on. Yeah, come on down. Marley, where is she? Marley, you, oh, she just finished? Oh, well, you can give her a hand. She just finished. Okay, we are going to pray. Now, we'll just pray like this. I don't want to make it too complicated. We will pray for you guys. Father, we just ask that the Spirit of the Lord is upon these young people. As they are moldable and as they are growing and learning, I just ask that your spirit is upon them because all we care about is that they're in the kingdom. That's all I care about, and I know that's ultimately all you care about. Use the teachers, use the people, the parents in their lives to bring them to the throne of grace. We ask this in your powerful name, amen. I did want to let you guys also know that the, the school board decided, and as you guys, they discreetly handed them out, they, they actually, our little token of appreciation for your ministry from the church, not the school board, from the church, that uh, they gave them a small gift of appreciation. So again, can we thank them for their ministry? And if I can remember, because I, I really like my security blanket there. Yevareka Adonai Vayishmareka. Ya'er Adonai Panav Alecha Vichoneka. Yisai Adonai Alecha Vayasem Lecha Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.